How was he? Delicious. Are you positive he's a virgin? I haven't had anything this pure since the Vienna Boys Choir hit town. Hmm. You just make sure he doesn't slip away. You won't escape me. What are we going to do with him? We can't very well put him down with the others yet. Heavens no. Let him go home and build up his strength. Tired blood is of no use to me. <sighs> I'll just go check on the gentleman's truck. Oh, what happened? Do you remember anything? No, not much. I had the weirdest dream. You know those little packets of fresh fruit juice? You know, with them made out of tin foil where you stick the little straws in them to open them? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I dreamt that I was one of those. Ugh. What did happen anyway? Let's just say you earned your juice. I did? Mm, you certainly did. <laughs> really? That's great. I don't believe it. It finally happened. Did I enjoy it? <laughs> God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 334, Once Bitten. And this is listener request number 46, courtesy of Carla. So we're back already. Yeah. Big week for the show, making up for some lost time. Back-to-back listener requests. And this is another one that's new to me. Hadn't seen Once Bitten. I actually had seen it years ago on television it was a regular on usa network and i remember referencing usa network a lot in the past on of this show i don't really feel like usa is the same as it Mm -hmm. used to be i guess monday night raw is the same as it always was but it used to be much more of a movie channel yeah yeah and not any original programming and not a lot of reruns of tv shows it was much more movies yeah and then they would 
occasionally air syndicated shows that were much more for teens and kids. Right. Like USA High or Parker Lewis Can't Lose or things of that nature. But for the most part, and they, I think they had a, an original show based on the movie Weird Science. Remember that? Yes, I do. The Weird Science yeah. show. But for the most part, it was movies. And I saw a lot of movies like this, it, whether it was up all night on Friday nights or just late night or right. during the day in the summer. They would just show these movies all the time. And not unlike another listener request, Eddie and the Cruisers, this is a movie that gained a cult following because of nonstop television play. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, for some film people that I've been out there in the world talking to, like 80s comedies is the time period for people. <laughs> well, yeah, for certain yeah. age demos. Uh, yeah. Sure. I haven't seen a lot of those movies. It's just a era genre that is not really in my wheelhouse but i'm looking to always expand and definitely had some fun with this one yeah this is a movie that i highly doubt would have ever come up in our journey on our own so that's always fun when we have listener requests like that which kind of expand our usual fare and i don't know how many people have seen this it is available on a double feature Scream Factory Blu-ray with hmm. another movie. I think it's another vampire comedy. There gotcha. are a lot of them. Definitely. From this era. But, yeah, once bitten, we'll get into it. Before we do, let's remind everyone to follow the show on X slash Twitter at Greatest Pod, and you can reach us via email, greatestpod at gmail.com. If you have a listener request, we generally charge $50 for a movie with a runtime up to 2 hours and 10 minutes. Although, if you've listened to the last couple, that is a little bit flexible, maybe two and a half hours. I don't know. Whatever you want to pay us. Subject to change. But if it gets too long, definitely past two and a half hours, then we're looking at $75 for a movie up to three hours. After that, we will negotiate with you. Coming up later in August, we will have Luke's listener request. In September, we have listener requests from Thomas and Keith, and we have... L. Allen after Greatest October in November. We have three slots left, so if you want one, let us know. We have multiple ways to receive payments from you. We also accept tips and random donations as well on Cash App in case you're interested in that. We also accept five-star reviews. Yeah, as always, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. Never miss an episode. Episode 334, Once Bitten, perfect example, coming out on a random day of the week after there was already another episode. Anything could happen, so you want to make sure you're subscribed, never miss anything. You can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. If you'd like a free sticker, just let us know on X slash Twitter or via email. We will be reading an email at the end of this episode, so please... If you haven't reached out, or even if you have, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have some content to read on the show. Any questions, comments, concerns, it can be directly related to a specific episode or something we may have mentioned or something we have never mentioned. Anything like that. Remember when these episodes would start off and I'd be like, episode 80? Who would have thought? You were doing that by episode 7, I think. (laughs) And probably didn't stop until fairly recently. Well, no, it was... I stopped a long time ago because you were like <laughs> commenting on how much you hated it. Well, no, I know. we were both doing it, and it got yeah. to the point where it was an inside joke for us. But We'd I would assume that any new listener would be right. like, "Oh God!" I let it go. But three thirty-four. Holy shit! Well, yeah, 
And there's no signs of slowing down, no signs of stopping. We have no, so many more subjects to get to. Ramping up, really. Well, yeah. But yeah. I don't think we're going to keep up at this pace forever. Right. This is this is the peak. This was an unexpected surge of listener requests this year where we've had to really accommodate yeah. a lot of extra episodes. We've backed ourselves into a corner that we don't know how to get out of. <laughs> we'll just keep raising the <laughs> yeah. prices until they stop. Once Bitten was released in 1985. It is, I guess, what you would consider a horror comedy, but I don't even know if that's fair. I guess you would probably just call it a vampire comedy. Yeah. Saying horror at all related to this would be insane. That's true. <laughs> it was directed by Howard Storm, who is primarily a television director. I think this was his only feature film. Screenplay by Jonathan Roberts David Hines and Jeffrey Haas, story by Dimitri Villard. It would be cool to be one of those dudes that just made one feature. That was it. <laughs> yeah, it's cooler than making zero. Definitely. By the time the film was released, writer Jeffrey House had blown through his initial earnings and had to take a job as a video store clerk. Hmm. One day, an oblivious customer remarked of the film, whoever wrote this shouldn't be working in Hollywood, and an incensed house retorted, you got your wish. <laughs> That's unbelievable. <laughs> Although I don't think that where he landed is that bad. As a video store clerk? Yeah. <laughs> sort of a dream job for me at one point. For those of you who have never seen Once Bitten or would like to rewatch it for the purposes of listening to this podcast, you can now currently find it streaming for free on Amazon Prime, Tubi, Pluto TV, or... Of course, the option to do a streaming rental. Oh, yeah. Some of I, those things aren't available. Some things, on the other hand, just available multiple places. Right. And I went the extra mile, as I tend to do with these listener requests, and actually purchased the digital copy Ooh. on Vudu. How about that? So I now own it in the streaming realm. That is dedication. It had been a long time mm -hmm. since I had seen it. I just had some vague memories. The dream sequences, especially with Jim Carrey done up as a vampire looking kind of Dracula-esque, yeah. those are what stuck out to me in my memory the most visually because it's probably been since like middle school since I saw this movie right. or something like that. The budget for Once Bitten was $3.2 million. The box office came in at $10 million. All right. In typical boneheaded Hollywood fashion, Once Bitten was released into theaters a few weeks after Halloween. It's literally that is bizarre. I, I don't throwing get money away. Yeah, because I think any movie with any kind of horror element will probably pull in an extra ten to twenty-five percent if it's released in the run-up to Halloween. If history tells us anything. These horror movies are able to get butts and seats in that run. I'm not saying that Once Bitten would have gone sure. on a Gone with the Wind-esque run. No, no, no. But it would have made a few extra million, probably. I think so. However, the film was able to overcome initially poor reviews, a perplexing release date, and a mediocre box office return to find a cult following, thanks in part to running constantly on cable in the late 80s and early 90s. As I said, I first discovered the film on the USA Network. It was a movie that they frequently ran. I guess this is as good a time as any, because I'm not sure how often we'll talk about Mr. Jim Carrey. I would like to do a few of his films on the show, but we haven't really yet, except for Eternal Sunshine, and we didn't take the opportunity then, so we might as well do it now. 
Yeah. To discuss this career. Yeah, I, I would have had no idea when it all started for him. I mean, I knew that he was on In Living Color. Right, but it's weird that he has a little bit of a career before in Living yeah, Color. Yeah, yeah. That little remainder, that hangover right. in there. He began as a stand-up in the late 70s. I think he started out mostly in impressions, and that was his thing for a while. But he became yeah, we known see, for- uh, some of that in this movie. Surreal, physical, slapstick comedy, pure energy, definitely a wall of talent, uh-huh. kind of reminiscent- of Robin Williams at times, especially when Carrie would find the character that we all know, the one from In Living Color, the one that became super famous, that version. There were several failed Saturday Night Live auditions, I think at least three different times throughout the 80s. And it really was a matter of finding the right outlet. I think sometimes this happens with people who ultimately end up breaking into the entertainment industry in one way or another. Sometimes it's as a musician, sometimes it's as a dancer, sometimes it's as a stand-up comedian or an actor, a writer. But then you go back in time and you see, oh, this person is crazy talented. It had all kinds of talents, and it was just a matter of finding the right thing. Yeah, yeah. A perfect example is those of you out there who might remember the Zach Galifianakis show. He was a guy that was around before The Hangover for years. Oh, yeah. And it just seemed like... Was in some movies, too. Yeah. Can we find the right thing? This guy seems pretty funny. Right. But it's a matter of, will something connect in the right way? He was an out cold. And I think Jim Carrey is the same kind of thing. I think Mm -hmm. people recognized that this guy had a lot of talent. There was something there. It was just a matter of refining the technique, expanding on what he did. Because, ultimately, I think... He became famous not really for impressions, although that was always part of the act and part of it, but it was also the other stuff. It was the slapstick. It was the surreal. It was that nonstop energy. You do got to give it to some of these people for like the resiliency, too, because it's got to be like brutal to not be picked auditioning three times. Yeah, and feeling like you are talented, but then you keep getting told that it's not happening. And And then it just feels like it's never going to happen. Yeah, he did have a minor film career, though, by at least the last time he auditioned, if not the second time as well, including this film. He also had a small part in Peggy Sue Got Married. They were like, we saw Once Bitten, not for us. In 1990, he gets in Living Color, and then by that point, it seems like it's just a matter of time. Star is rising. In Living Color didn't last forever, but it was definitely a phenomenon for a while. And it was kind of considered like a cooler, hip version of Saturday Night Live for a while. Although I happen to be a fan of SNL from that era, the early 90s, because that's kind of my era of Chris Farley and those guys. But In Living Color definitely had that kind of cool, edgier feel to it. Definitely. Jim Carrey is amongst a very talented cast, and he stands out too. Absolutely. And in less than a decade from the time Once Bitten is released, he is the biggest star in the world. But it does feel like a completely different era, even though it's only nine years. Yeah. In 1994, he has a year that is almost unrivaled in the history of Hollywood, with Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber all coming out in less than 12 months. That's crazy. And all of a sudden, he's everywhere. Yeah, he yeah. goes from being a guy as a kid that I didn't really know who he was to being the most famous person in the world, seemingly overnight. Right. I can remember... He was just beloved, too. 
my friend renting the mask and also me seeing Ace Ventura around the same time period. I don't know that I was necessarily as big of a Jim Carrey fan as some. I can tell you I was not. But I definitely loved Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. But I wasn't obsessed with Ace Ventura like a lot of people were. I think I went on to be a much bigger Adam Sandler guy in the years that well, followed. Well, you're four years younger than me. That's and true. And I think I'm almost too young. Yeah, yeah. I'm a year okay. or two probably from being in right. the right specific moment. Yeah, you're right. Because, I mean, in 94, and really I probably saw these movies more like 95, 96. I'm not even 10 years old. I don't really get his humor, you know? <laughs> like... It's, it's too weird. Well, it just seems like he's just making noises. That's what I always felt like. Yeah, there is a lot of noise making. In 95, he does Batman Forever. He plays the Riddler. That's right. Oddly enough, we just did a movie with Paul Dano who just played the Riddler. And then Ace Ventura 2, immediately. He makes way more money. I think he made like a few thousand dollars for Ace Ventura. And then he wow. makes like $10 million for the sequel or something Good like Lord. that. Good Lord. And then you've got Cable Guy, Truman Show... Me, myself, and Irene, liar, liar, all in this time period, there's a pretty big run. And just like with any other comedy star of the last several decades, they have their run. Yep. And and then then all of a sudden, it's over. And it's so shocking when it's over because during the run, it feels like it'll never end. I know. And I've had that happen to me so many times in my life where I'm obsessed with a comedy person. I think there's no way a day is going to come where I'm not interested in their movies anymore. Mm-hmm. And then it happens. And it happens to all of them. That's right. It happened to Jim Carrey. Will it Ferrell. Happened to Eddie Murphy. It happened to Will Ferrell. It happened to Adam Sandler. It happened to everyone. Now, the moment that they jump the shark probably differs for each person. Yeah. For some people, they may have stuck with Will Ferrell for a few extra, whereas other people jumped out or... Some people had a soft spot for Jim Carrey for a few extra movies or whatever. Yeah. But essentially, the result is always the same. Their reliability goes right out the window. But it is an incredible, meteoric, once-in-a-generation, oh, yeah. once-in-a-lifetime type rise. That and it's getting harder to do that now. It's also about luck. Right. There's no way to know that three movies will be good enough to be hits. Because sometimes someone breaks out. And they've got a few other things in the chamber, yeah. but they're not that great. Right. For example, Jennifer Lawrence is in that weird horror movie, The House at the End of the Street. That's or right, yeah. And that movie wasn't anything special, so just because she became a huge star before it came That's out true. wasn't going to change the fate of that movie. Yeah. Whereas The Mask, Ace Ventura, and Dumb and Dumber were all actually funny enough. People liked them all. To move the needle. And yeah. so once one took off, it was a chain reaction. I think the most likely to have failed would have been The Mask, Cameron which Diaz, still kind of seems like a weird, second-rate type movie. I agree. But and it ultimately made a star out of Cameron Diaz, yeah. too. <laughs> I don't know. It made a star out of two people, somehow. But I don't think it's a particularly great movie. It's, I never really loved it. I know. I don't think I've watched it since the 90s. I've actually been a big fan of Jim Carrey's more dramatic work. I love Same. Eternal Sunshine. Same and here. Man in the Moon is really good, too, even though, of course, he was probably unbearable to be around in real yeah. life. <laughs> Truman that. Show. Truman Show is awesome, too. We're um, probably going to be doing that soon. People like The Majestic, too. I- I've never really watched it all the way through. but I've never seen it. I, I couldn't. <laughs> that one also gets a lot of mockery, too. Okay, all right. It's a little bit more mixed, I yeah. think. <laughs> but before all of that, 
Carey's first lead role came as Mark Kendall, an innocent and naive high school student who was seduced by a sultry blonde countess, Lauren Hutton, who is secretly a centuries-old vampire. And we recognize her from the American Gigolo episode. <laughs> yeah, well, Which is, I would say these are her two big movies. I really, honestly, dude, I don't know that I could have said anything else that she was in, and when she came on screen, I was like, oh, from American Gigolo. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. The movie was retitled in various countries. Translated titles include Seduction Has Teeth from huh. France, Vampires Forever, also France. I don't know why it has more than one French title. Yeah. Virgin Boy Wanted <laughs> from Brazil. Stinks. I Love a Vampire, Argentina. Okay. Just One Bite, Hungary. Okay. Well, that's like, like that. a misleading title. Yeah, that's true. And you need the whole three. point is three. Yeah. And Kiss Princess uh-huh. from Poland, which makes a lot of sense. I actually do like the title Once Bitten. Yeah. Yeah. It works. I think so. Once Bitten, you're on the path to becoming a vampire. You're under her spell. Yep. Once Bitten, blah, blah, blah. And then the phrase Once Bitten, Twice Shy. You know, it all works. It's a good title. Mm-hmm. The movie opens with us getting a look at the Countess's mansion. This is the height of 80s design, 80s fashion, 80s looks. This place is enormous. It's very clearly not a real house, at least in my mind. The interiors are obviously not this house. Oh, I know. The exterior looks like a soundstage or something. Yeah, it, yeah. it can't be a real house. It's way too big. Right. It looks like a Ben Affleck J-Lo compound or something. <laughs> this doesn't look like a real place. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't seem worth the cleaning based on how many people live there. Oddly enough, a lot of people do seem to live there, which yeah. is kind of strange. And but it's still too much space. They never really explore that very much. There's all these extra characters that aren't really that much of a factor and don't really even need to be there. I know. You would think that they'd be doing more to help her. The painting of the Countess was modeled after Madonna, a 19th century painting by Norwegian expressionist Edvard Munch. I do love the idea of this painting. The original plan was that the seedy side of Hollywood would be depicted with a production design pattern after Munch's art, but director Howard Storm instead opted to focus on the 1980s neon glow of Hollywood. Mm. Yeah, it is quite a move to display a nude portrait of yourself in, in your, your living room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A lot of confidence. Yeah, really. Very bold. (laughs) Well, it speaks to maybe a more European sensibility. True. Very comfortable with art, very comfortable with her body, very comfortable with sexuality. I do love her 1985 big screen TV. I was like, that is mage. Yeah. That is a mage TV. It is huge. It probably weighs 4,000 pounds. I know. (laughs) Just giant TV. (laughs) From a time forgotten. So I think you hit on it a little bit. Briefly talking about these horror comedies. I feel like the vampire thing just works for horror comedies because of all the sexual situations. And all of the tropes, which yeah, everyone yeah. knows. Even if they've never seen a Bela Lugosi movie, they get all right. of it. It's yeah. so a part of culture that, yeah, it's very easy to parody and reference. Yeah. I would say Shades of True Blood in the movie here. <laughs> <laughs> In the neon heart of 1985, Los Angeles, a 400-year-old vampire known as the Countess, played by Hutton, has amassed a stable of young men and women who accompany her on this never-ending journey through eternal life. Though ostensibly immortal, the Countess must drink the blood of a young male virgin three times before Halloween each year to maintain her youthful appearance and continue 
her endless existence peacefully. Mm-hmm. The kicker is that this particular task has continued to grow more and more difficult with each passing year, since attractive young male virgins are almost impossible to find in the 1980s, huh. particularly in more hedonistic cities like Los Angeles. So, okay, there's a lot of weird shit to even unpack yeah. already. <laughs> so first of all, there's never any reason given why the virgin has to be attractive. Yeah, I know. She's not even having sex with them anyway, You're telling so me she no, can't uh, just find uggos. Incels around? <laughs> they also have to dance around the idea of underage victims. True. Which is suggested at one point and immediately shot down. Right. It would almost be better if they didn't suggest it. I don't even really feel like they had to. But it is a question that you think of like, well, obviously a vampire is a supernatural hell beast. Yeah. I don't think they're really worried about whatever the ages of consent are in different states. So why wouldn't they just go younger for virgin blood? But whatever. Maybe it's slightly unpleasant to think about. When penning the script, not too worried about finding a clever way to introduce us to our problem statement here. The first lines of the movie are, I need to bite a virgin three times before Halloween. Right, yeah. I wrote convenient expository dialogue between Sebastian, who is the manservant, the butler, played by Cleavon Little, and the countess here. She basically just summarizes what I said, but immediately as the first things you hear. So there you go. There's your premise. Evidently... The role of the Countess was written for Cassandra Peterson, better known as TV horror hostess Elvira. Which I definitely think would have been fun. Morgan Fairchild turned down the part. At one point, Kathleen Turner was also in consideration. I don't know if she would have actually done it. Although she also has made weird career decisions, so I don't know. But yeah, if the movie does have a weak point in terms of the comedy... It's Hutton, who I do like, and I like her performance in American Gigolo, but that does seem to be the long and the short of it. She was a model. She wasn't really like a natural actress, and it kind of shows in this movie. She's game. She seems like a good sport, but- Not a lot of range. She doesn't have the comedic timing. There's always a little bit something off when she's trying to be funny. It doesn't quite click. I definitely think Elvira would have been better at that, but she also may have overshadowed the movie because then it becomes Elvira's movie yeah. because her first movie, Mistress of the Dark, had not happened yet. Right. So then this is this her is, film uh, debut. It turns into Elvira's Once Bitten. Yeah, essentially, because yeah. she was sort of known as Elvira. So mm-hmm. then are you thinking she's going to be Cassandra Peterson? She may not have wanted that for the brand at the time to confuse. Sure. She was sort of like... The recently departed Pee Wee Herman. She was living the gimmick. Absolutely. The gimmick was her life. So then you're talking about having the lead role played by Elvira, which then makes it a completely different thing altogether. That's what I was picturing, though, when you said it. I wasn't picturing Cassandra Peterson playing. No, me too, but I'm not sure. Right. Because it doesn't specify. And at this point, like I said, she hadn't been in a movie yet. So even though she was starting to be in those beer ads and her... Los Angeles show might have started to be syndicated in other places. She wasn't as famous as she was going to be in the next couple of years. Yes. So I'm thinking that if she would have accepted this part, that may have meant maybe she was pausing Elvira. I don't know. Or you're asking Elvira to be it then. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's two different things. We get a quick look at the Countess's minions. This is very (laughs) hokey and cheesy. (laughs) 
they are sort of half-assed pretending like they're all from different eras and different time periods and places and yeah it's kind of uh, it, they never really fully commit to this bit i'm not 100 percent sure you need these minions from the past like the civil war vampire yeah. and the historic vampires of different eras i, I don't know because they, they don't really factor into anything no while the Countess and her crew are scouring Los Angeles for a virgin just 10 days before Halloween, high schooler Mark Kendall really, really wants to go all the way with his girlfriend, Robin Pierce, played by Karen Coppins, or Copens, I'm not really sure how to say her name, who was a new discovery for both Matt and myself. Yeah, and really. Made an impression. Carla, I'm happy you requested this movie just so that I could see Karen Coppins for the first time. What a beauty this girl is yes. <laughs> I, I really really liked her <laughs> an actress I was previously unfamiliar with yeah she was not on my radar quite a scene going on in this parking lot I do think it's funny that his vehicle is an ice cream truck but it makes it more funny when you're in the ice cream truck trying to make a move on your girlfriend yeah when everyone else is in, in like a... convertibles it seems like they're just in a parking lot, yeah. but I guess maybe it's supposed to be a drive-in movie, but we don't see the movie screen. I'm, I'm really oh, not sure okay. what they're doing. I, I was thinking it was just like one of these make-out cliffs or whatever. Oh, maybe. Parks I, and... It just seemed like a parking lot. Yeah, no, you're right. There were a lot of other couples, and they're all having sex, which is actually- Kind of graphic, actually. Very graphic, and Mark really wants to go all the way with Robin, but she has yet to give him the go-ahead. We get- through their dialogue over the course of the film that it. they have known each other for a long yeah. time and have been dating for at least four years, and but maybe... seems to have known each other maybe six, maybe more, something like that. And maybe she's just used to the ice cream truck, but I think it's understandable that she doesn't want to give it up in the ice cream truck. Come on, find a more romantic place. Well, doesn't it have a whole back? I guess it's actually a functioning ice cream truck, yeah. so it's a freezer. Yeah, it, it is paradise by the dashboard light, right. except... In an ice cream truck. It is a funny visual. <laughs> yeah. At one point, a guy approaches and wants to buy an ice cream. And I recognize this guy. He is in, I believe, Friday the 13th Part 5. I think wow. the one directed by Danny Steinman, who directed Savage Streets, I think. And he was the fat guy that gets killed early in the movie. Okay. That's a poll. Well, hold on. Hmm. This movie has a lot of crossover with the Friday the 13th franchise. Okay. There's probably about four or five people in this movie oh. that show up. All right. They're all very minor parts, like some of the vampire minions and stuff like that. But Once Bitten was a recruiting ground for that franchise. Well, some of them had probably already done it, oh, true. and some of them would do it yeah. later after. It was a little bit of both. I guess screenwriter Jeffrey House campaigned for Michael J. Fox to star in the film but executive producer Samuel Goldwyn Jr. was convinced that Fox would never be able to carry a big screen movie. When was Teen Wolf? Teen Wolf actually came out after Back to the Future, which came out this same year, or actually around the same time, Okay, I guess, because wasn't that 85 as well? Yeah, I don't know. That's, it seemed like it would be right around this time. Teen Wolf was already filmed, but didn't come out until after the fact. We just gotcha. kind of talked about yeah. that with Jennifer Lawrence or... Right. Whatever. You have that movie that's kind of overhanging. So then Teen Wolf, which was really going to be a small Canadian independent movie, got a big American release because of Back to the Future. However, I kind of feel like this Jeffrey House guy, he did an audio commentary or something or an interview because all of a sudden we've got these very specific stories about him working at a video store. And now all of a sudden he's the genius who saw Michael <laughs> J. Fox as the big star about to happen. Yeah. 
like, oh, all right. Well, Jim Carrey was also a huge star uh, too. True. I don't really yeah. know. I don't think they got the casting wrong. <laughs> I don't think Michael J. Fox being in this movie changes anything about the movie. I think it would be exactly the same. I think that's fair. Test audiences had such a positive reaction to Karen Coppins for her portrayal of Robin that her image was inserted into the film's poster at the last okay. minute. There we go. So we're reacting the same way test audiences did, what, 40 years ago? As I wrote here, totally agree, one million percent. <laughs> <laughs> Combine Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox with a great California tan. Wow. And that's Karen Coppins. What a ray of sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> If anyone out there knows her, could you please get her a copy of this podcast? Yeah, really. I feel like just us gushing about her would light up her life. Might bring her back into the acting world even. <laughs> but yeah, they're in this parking lot. He's sexually frustrated. He gets out of the ice cream truck because the the fat guy was trying to buy ice cream while he's on a date. And then- It's like, look around where you're at, dude. There's cars shaking all around I know. You. When he gets out of the car, there's literally a bare ass in the air pounding away in the convertible <laughs> across from them. It's actually so explicit that if this was an R-rated movie and that was sexual, it was a whole buildup, yeah. you'd be like, that's too much thrusting exactly. for an R-rated movie. I know. This movie's PG-13. I think because it's so comedic and you don't even see the girl. Right. But then all the other cars are shaking, and there's legs hanging out of windows. It Everyone's is, having um, sex except for Mark. Far more extreme than I was expecting. When he's commiserating with his pals at the burger stand that his buddies work at, he says, right now I'm as close to physical perfection as I'm going to get. <laughs> and his I, friend I, says, that's depressing. Yeah. Real depressing. <laughs> <laughs> I did appreciate that self-reflection and insight, though, because while it was true about myself, I never found myself thinking that. <laughs> I thought my best years were ahead of me still. Well, a lot is made out of how insane it is to be a virgin at 18 years old. And while I did not make it to 18 years old, I was thinking, like, man, this movie is very anti-virginity. It's strange because I actually think that even though Hollywood is known for being very liberal, very sexual, very wild, whatever, I think the morality of these movies, even teen movies for decades, That's even true. now and then, yeah. was always... Wait till marriage, virginity's good, waiting is good. They always had more of a wholesome message. This movie is basically like, uh, you are an embarrassment if you haven't had sex. There's quite a few teen movies, though, where the whole thing is about trying to get there. No, you're right, but what is the message of this movie? Oh, yeah. Hurry up, do it. That's how he's saved. Yeah, right. We have to do it. <laughs> Your girlfriend is a bitch and a prude for not doing it. It's basically... How every character acts, and there's never pushback at no, the end of the movie. The message at the end is never, oh, yeah, you, you should yeah. wait. No, well, it's actually, what were you waiting for? Look, there's not a lot of moral compass characters around. we got a vampire. We've got two loser dudes that work at the burger shack. Yeah, complete degenerate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is one of those 80s L.A. movies. It's a little more under the radar. It kind of reminds me a lot of Valley Girl. Oh, yeah. Chopping Mall a little bit, hmm. but it's also got a little bit of that DNA that Savage Streets or movies like Angel have, the Hollywood Boulevard. Let's yeah. go up there for a bit. The dialogue's a little free-flowing. Well, it's PG-13. Yeah. It's, it's not, not harsh, bad. but I don't know. They are saying some interesting things. Well, there's one scene, Yeah, but it was viewed a lot differently back then than it would be now. There's a woman casually walking a lion on a leash. For some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. 
The main theme of the film is a song called Once Bitten by a band called Three Speed. It's not Once Bitten, Twice Shy, the, mm. the hair no. metal anthem. It's it's a different song. It's a female singer, but it's definitely a banger. Definitely. If you've ever heard a tune perfectly set the tone of what the vibe of the movie is going to be, I think this is it. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a couple of good songs. There's another yeah. one in the big dance-off that we'll talk about definitely. later. You want to talk about a weird career going on in this time period. You have Paris, Texas coming out in 1984. The very next year, Dean Stockwell is in this movie for about half of a second as an uncredited cameo as a valet guy. I did not see that. Wow. I wouldn't have noticed, but I just saw it in the IMDb credits, and then I did see his face for it's a half blowing second. blowing my mind right now. I don't know if it was a favor to somebody, if it was originally written to be a bigger part that got cut. I didn't see anything like that in the research. I don't know if it was just he was around, he was friends with someone. Who knows? But not that Dean Stockwell is Tom Cruise or anything. And when we did Paris, Texas last year, we talked about how he almost was done. Yeah. He had pretty much given up on acting. But still, it's very weird to have been in Paris, Texas this big independent movie that was definitely reviving his career. And then, I don't know, maybe he had already agreed to be in this and Paris, Texas hadn't come out yet or something. I don't know. Yeah, he has an interesting career, really. Oh, for sure. And I'm sure there's weirder credits definitely. in his career. Yeah. But just the timing that he was like on the comeback trail because of Paris, Texas. And yep. then, I don't know. Because it's not even a cameo that 99.9% .9 of the world Maybe even a million nines after that would notice on their own without help because right, it right. is so fast. So <laughs> yeah, the genius plan ends up being, hey, let's go out into Hollywood, Mark, my two buddies, Jamie and Russ, the dirtbags that work at the Burger Shack. Let's <laughs> yeah. just meet a random woman so Mark can discreetly rid himself of this burdensome V-card. And then you know what? He'll just resume his ongoing relationship with Robin after without all of the added pressure of having sex. Seems like a perfect plan. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? This always works. I'm sure Robin will be thrilled. Totally. Meanwhile, look, I wanted to have sex in high school too, just like anybody, but if a girl as pretty as Robin would have talked to me, that would have been enough to hold me over well into college. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it would not have superseded just being in Robin's orbit. Trying to get married. Oh, yeah. I would have already proposed several times. <laughs> several Wendy's parking lot proposals. <laughs> That's private information. <laughs> the place that they go to is very weird. It's some kind of a club with numbered tables and phones on the tables so they can call the different tables. So it's definitely like a singles meetup. It seems like a speed place. dating type of situation. I do think places like this existed. I don't know that they always were this crowded, like in on each other. Yeah. I think it was a little more casual, not as loud, and... The whole point was to meet people at the other tables, but I don't know. I don't know if it, it could just be like kids could just come in off the street and get a table like that. It does seem strange. I think it might have been a little bit more of a private club situation. I don't know. I feel know. like maybe, I don't know. Yeah, more organized. I feel like they would also be like spotting people that were there with nefarious intentions. Well, I don't think their intentions are any different from most of the yeah. other people. I think that's why everyone's <laughs> there. Yeah. Let's get laid. It's a fun concept for a movie. I don't know how real it is, how close to reality. I'm sure there were places kind of like this, though. Different things have been experimented with over time before the internet. Sure. You have to understand, the internet has 
change the world. Corrected yeah, a lot of right. things when it comes to dating and mating rituals. Oh yeah, <laughs> that is true. There was a lot of weirdness going on. Meanwhile, one of the buddies—I'm not sure which one's which. Honestly, Jamie and Russ. The blonde one is the more obnoxious and yes. ridiculous. He's the one that ends he up has going over to a table with a man in drag, right. which is part of the gay panic that kind of runs a little bit throughout this movie. It's not overwhelming, but it's in a few scenes, and we'll circle back to this later because it one has been written scene. about a little bit. Yeah. At this singles bar, whatever it is, Mark is summoned away from his table by the Countess, who is sitting alone at the bar. He's very nervous, and she is very obviously ignoring all of his clumsy behavior, which inexperienced guys like Mark may not recognize as the warning signs that yeah. they are. Dead if you giveaway. are yeah. making a complete ass of yourself. They're not into it. Tumbling. O- well, yeah. I'm saying, no, and she is into it. That's the warning sign. Right, right. <laughs> like, why is she not? Getting rid of me immediately, realizing I'm an idiot. Yeah, I know. I'm saying the truth bomb is they're not into it. Oh, well, yeah, for sure. There's two things happening at once. Mark is interacting with the Countess at the bar. His two friends, Jamie and Russ, are at that other table with those older ladies. And then that one woman's insane husband comes over. Mm -hmm. These are the moments of this movie that were the most entertaining and really kept me off guard. And I was not expecting this scene is very funny and weird definitely because this guy comes over this is a pg-13 movie aimed at teenagers i think most people would get the joke like oh yeah these are married women cheating on their husbands Mm -hmm. and they're there with kids yeah and obviously this one woman has been carrying on with other men right and that's what this guy's talking about but there's no preamble he just immediately is whore yeah and you're like, what? And then making he, a scene. He gets in his wife's face and is like, pedophile. And oh, you're like, yeah. what is happening? <laughs> and then he points at one of the guys, one of Mark's friends, and he's like, pornographer. <laughs> and I guess whoever this woman's regular lover is has written some steamy letters or something. Oh, but no. what is only this, dangerous liaisons? Half of this conversation. So you're kind of like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I kid you not the man attempts to murder them with yeah. a gun. <laughs> Things do uh, take an extreme turn. This is Saved by the Bell type I plots know. going on. All of a sudden, point. it's like a crime scene. Police are showing up. Yeah, because then you have two hot women cops who are then <laughs> patting down yeah. Jamie and Russ. <laughs> that definitely seems like very 80s comedy-esque. Two yeah. beautiful police women showing up. For the pat-downs. Yeah. I did like that the Countess's limousine has a vanity license plate that says life sucks l y f s u x yeah these are the jokes folks right so yes mark and the countess flee the bar it's the perfect scenario really for her to get him back to the house after this little brouhaha at the club the countess gets mark back to her mansion he mm-hmm. asks are you a prostitute she says i'm whatever you want me to be his response is, good, because I only have $5, <laughs> which was great. Yeah. <laughs> she leaves the room for a minute. He immediately is touching her breasts on the painting. <laughs> Just an embarrassment. Everything he's doing is so pathetic and yeah. uncouth. It's uh, so obvious that why would this woman be interested in this guy? I know. Guy? <laughs> but that's the naivete. I see you made yourself at home. 
Uh, that's, uh, that's very nice. Did you, uh, did they do that over at the, um, uh, the shopping mall? No. Um, that was done a long time ago in Europe. Why don't you sit here? Yeah. Sure. So, what do you do for a living, Mark? I go to school, mm -hmm. college. I'm, uh, I'm studying to be an electrical engineer. Fascinating. Yeah. My field is nuclear physics. Really? I'm working on the acid rain problem. I love intelligent men. Yeah, I guess they're okay. Gee, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this place is great. I mean, uh, you, it's beautiful. I mean, the, uh, who, who, who decorated it anyway? I did. Great. Pillows and everything, nice. I mean, you know, most, uh, most people don't do things. And, uh, I think that, uh, that, I mean, that's, they, you, you do. I mean, you do. Uh, you're 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 a doer. I mean, you are a doer, and, uh, and you 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 do. You're a you uh, beautiful dress too. I guess uh, you made that yourself. I bet my mom would love to borrow the pattern. <laughs> I mean, uh, my mom, she's great. I mean, uh, I have a picture of my family in my wallet. You know, you might take a look as long as you're down there. And uh, and there's some some lifesavers in that other pocket there. Yeah, there's really a full court press from the Countess when oh, yeah. she returns. Well, once we find out what her move is, that had me interested. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of weird things in this movie. Yeah. Mark is babbling nervously. He's obviously in way over his head. We see the room full of coffins for the Countess's minions who don't really seem to have a purpose in life. Do they even get to leave her house? I don't know. I was always expecting them to be doing more for her, but it's really just the butler, it seems like. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not really sure what they were going for with all of that. Yeah. They didn't really figure out the ins and outs of the vampire life. They just right. wanted to have a modern vampire in L.A. I'm thinking there's like an extended cut. <laughs> the four-hour yeah. once-bitten cut <laughs> coming to Criterion this fall. <laughs> Obviously, it's a relatively easy seduction for the Countess. She begins to undress Mark and then bites his thigh, causing him to pass out. Undress by biting off the buttons one by one. She's really into biting the buttons. For yeah, some reason, that's that definitely is her a move. recurring thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't um, know why. Which I would be endlessly frustrated by. I don't want my clothes ruined. Yeah, it would kind of be less cool. What am I supposed time. to do now? Do you think I want to go home with my shirt open? No, nope. first Nobody time I would that. be so into it. <laughs> well, yeah. But then once she starts ruining a second shirt later, I'd be like, all right. You're just stopping at like TJ Maxx to buy a different shirt yeah, to wear I'm over? Yeah, showing up in stupid shirts that <laughs> I'm buying just so she can ruin them. <laughs> when Mark awakens, the Countess pretends that they have had sex and tells Mark that he belongs to her now. Mark remains totally clueless about what actually happens, but he more or less believes her version of the events. Yeah. I do like that he gives the Countess and Sebastian treats from his ice cream truck before he departs. 
Nice also sign-up. telling the Countess that he is currently in a committed relationship yeah. with a lovely girl. Listen, this was a great night, but... Honey, please. I gotta tell you. This ain't no dinner thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you dessert. Mark returns to school on Monday, but it's clear that he's changed. He craves raw hamburger, for starters. Over time, he's also yeah. going to start avoiding direct sunlight and having strange dreams. That cafeteria worker happy to give him a completely raw hamburger. <laughs> Yeah, well, the health department yeah. wasn't visiting this school frequently enough, I guess. One of his friends is wearing a sweatshirt that just says, Freelance Gynecologist, and he wore this to school. <laughs> <laughs> Although, when you see what some of the kids are wearing at the yeah. Halloween dance, I, I guess nobody cares about no anything. No rules. I don't know. <laughs> it was a different time. I will say that for all of their bluster, these are probably the least convincing, desperately horny high school virgins ever. You never really buy it with these guys. I don't really know what it is, but they just never seem believable like to real me. people. Like they're actually on yeah. any path that seems normal. It seemed like they were taking the bones from other teen movies and then just trying to fit this vampire story around it. So they're kind of like, all right, well, let's have it be the typical thing of guys trying to lose their virginity. There's a million movies like that. Yeah. Okay. But in order to make there be some stakes, pun intended, I guess, yeah. vampires, <laughs> we'll throw in this girlfriend. But by doing that, I just never believe anything that's happening. I just feel like yeah, Mark would be so happy to be with this girl. Exactly. Why would Mark even hang out with these two losers? I get that he's 18, and their whole point of the movie, I guess, is saying that morality has changed and people are losing their virginity at younger ages, and so an 18-year-old virgin is rare or something, but I don't know. Does that really play everywhere in America in 1985? I still feel like there were probably a higher percentage of 18-year-old virgins than you would believe in 1985. Right. So, I don't know. The whole premise starts to feel kind of weird, where you're like, they're really that desperate? He has this beautiful girlfriend who, even in that opening scene in the ice cream truck, is basically like, yeah, I want to have sex with you. I just don't want to do it in a parking lot around all these other people. And so his reaction is to run out and try to meet someone else. What a douche. <laughs> yeah, I will say he's kind of unlikable. Right. Especially us over at the Karen Coppins fan uh, Yeah, club. yeah. We were... If we were in this high school, we would have been waiting for Mark to mess this up. <laughs> yeah. Or we would have already killed him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Robin overhears the whole situation. They don't even hide it from her more than five seconds. No. She says, where'd you find her? A 7-Eleven? A bowling alley? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not really being careful about this conversation. But why isn't Mark sitting with his gorgeous I know. girlfriend at lunch? What is the point of having a girlfriend if you're not going to sit with her at lunch in school? Never feels like she commits to being that mad at him about it, though. He's got her wrapped. I know around it's his wild. She we forgives needed to have a talk with so her so quickly yeah. for anything, and then. But what do you do? Mark's a loser. You're way too good for him. He drives an ice cream truck. That's going to be the rest of his life. Well, I put later in the notes about how she's such a ride or die. Like she's such a dream girl. The amount of work she puts into this too. As soon as she accepts what the truth is, she puts her ass to work. She's like, I'm going to solve this. Then. That's right. <laughs> That's true. Mark was way in over his head and definitely would have lost this whole battle if it wasn't for her. Hey, come on. Tell us what happened. Blow by beautiful blow. Did you undress her slowly? Like, like first, bearing her big 
Luscious magumbas. Did she have any tattoos or scars or anything? I told you I don't remember. If you're so interested in my sexual failures, why don't you go out and have a few of your own? Robin, wait a second. Where'd you find her? A 7-Eleven? A bowling alley? Robin. Robin, wait up. Saturday night, the three of us went up to Hollywood. Hollywood? Was Russ's stupid idea. You mean to tell me you went home with a woman you met in a bar in Hollywood? And? I don't want to talk about it. You didn't make love to her. I think so. I don't know. I, you, know. you think so? You don't know? I remember she bit the buttons off my shirt, and the next thing I remember is Sebastian bringing me orange juice. Sebastian? The chauffeur. The chauffeur? Well, there's also like the butler, too. The butler? You mean they all saw her bite your buttons? No! I mean, I don't know what happened exactly. Oh, Mark. I can't believe you're willing to throw away our relationship on a one-night stand with a chauffeur and a butler and a slut who eats buttons. But you did. You really did. You can have your damn ring back. What am I supposed to do with it? Use your imagination. For the moment, though, despite what we just said, yeah, she, she does break right up with him temporarily. Yeah. He gives a half-assed confession. The whole thing is poor all around. Although, yeah, it doesn't really seem like he even believes that they're going to be broken up. It feels like the door is open for a reunion. Yeah, he doesn't even react as if yeah. they did. <laughs> He's like, whatever. I'm fucking a billionaire countess. I will evidently. say, he doesn't seem that apologetic. Let's talk about Mark's bedroom. It's a real sad scene. It's a cross between a 13-year-old mm. lesbian, an amateur clown, and someone desperately, almost defiantly clinging to their virginity. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, this There's is- a Billy um, Squire poster. Worthy of a breakup right there. A road sign that says, not a through road. Ugh. A button collection. Ugh. He's sleeping in a trunk, which is kind of funny because he's already sort of naturally- taking on the characteristics of a vampire so it's supposed to be like a coffin so time has been passing though because his dad comes in they have a conversation the dad alludes to a pattern of weird behavior definitely so days have been going by evidently a young dare i say redheaded megan mullally plays suzette one yeah. of robin's friends so i didn't recognize her at first but i did end up noticing that in the credits that she's in it well that voice is pretty yeah. unmistakable to me and yeah, her hair color is a little lighter than what right. we're used to. She's another one, sort of like Jim Carrey. She obviously didn't go on to have a Jim Carrey-type movie career, but yeah, she's someone was who was around show. forever. Yeah. She's even in that old episode of Seinfeld. Right. She was around forever and then eventually became Megan Mullally. Mark frequently slipping into what can only be described as a pretty hardcore Canadian accent, tries to beg Robin for forgiveness it's awkward, though, because he keeps apologizing for a night he can't even remember. Eventually, she does seem to relent, even though, for the life of me, I'm not really sure why. Is it really that crucial to make up yeah. with Mark? Is it that big of a deal? <laughs> Jamie and Russ are both infinitely jealous of Mark's big score, but he doesn't really want to talk about it. Their latest plan to get babes is to hit up the laundromat. Which, I know. This is a totally superfluous scene. 
I would assume it's only still in it to keep the runtime over 90 minutes. <laughs> but responsible for one of my biggest laughs in it the It is funny, movie. Yeah. and I did like it. There's actually a couple decent jokes True. in it, some visual gags, where one of the dudes pulls out the latex glove yeah. as a condom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I didn't know what size to get. <laughs> the other kid's like, try petite. <laughs> what do I do if I get lucky? Jamie, we've been over this a hundred times. I know, times. I know. Okay, okay. Now, do you have enough money for a motel room? Yeah. I do, yeah. Okay, now, do you have protection? Yeah. You intend to invite four friends? I, I didn't know what size I'd need. Try petite. Come on. Come on, Jamie, come on. Maybe we should come back later. Come on. Hi. Hello. Hello. I was wondering if you needed any help folding your uh, undergarments or anything. <coughs> Hi there. I'm Russ, and uh, I'm a Sagittarius. I enjoy surfing, candlelit dinners, and Tolstoy. Good luck. I'm a mature person, and. Uh, you're a mature person, so why don't we just skip all the bullshit, get rid of our inhibitions, and uh, do what we really want to do. Sounds good to me. Why don't we go to your place? I'll tie you up on your bed. I'd love to um, whip you. Um, no, 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 we can't do it in my bed. Um, I, I sleep with my brother, and he's a, and he's a chronic bedwetter. Maybe next time. No. I have to give the movie props. Props for the realistic choices in the women that these two douchebags are going to pursue. Definitely. I don't think I'm speaking out of school. One of them is a little heavy set. The other one is not your typical Hollywood beauty, but they are also appropriate for these guys who are total losers. But at no point does this movie make fun of their weight or appearance, which yeah. it definitely could have gone that way. I felt like that was on the table, but instead... These guys just shoot their shot. With Completely these going for it. I'm Russ, and I'm a Sagittarius. I enjoy surfing, candlelit dinners, and Tolstoy. That's his launch. <laughs> he does that several times. That should in be the like movie. pie in the face. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier when I was like, one of them has like a whole move. Although the woman that Russ is going for, she seems to have some sort of a BDSM yeah. thing where she wants to immediately whip him. She's taking the bait. She's putting it all out on Front Street. I feel like you need to wait until, like, date three yeah. to this start going down that road. Sort of like that part in Rushmore, you know, the scene that I'm talking about where she's giving it back to him in the classroom. A little bit, yeah. Like where, And then he's like, oh, shit, I wasn't ready for all yeah. this. Not ready yet. Yeah. I think we've all been there, although not as dramatic as this scene. Right. Jamie, meanwhile, ends up in the dryer. <laughs> the big girl just... Which is... Yeah, it's a funny visual gag because Russ comes it. back. You can then, actually see it. When he's coming back into the frame, yeah, you can tell that there's a dude in there. Right. Then you're like, not really sure? Because Russ walks by. Yeah. 
and he doesn't react at first, and you're kind of like, oh, wait, there's a guy in the dryer. <laughs> yeah, it is funny. Yeah, I was losing it. But we know the Countess needs to feed at least two more times before Halloween. She's not through with Mark just yet, although... Did we talk about how horrible her execution is of this plan? Well, yeah, we're going to. Okay. We're going to get into this all, because there are tons of things that the vampires do in this movie that defy explanation. They make no sense. And one it's of like them is... like they're not trying to survive. Why would she let this guy leave? Right. I know that she's never failed in 400 years and things have come easy to her, she but got why too take cocky. the chance? Yeah. You've got the guy. It's going to work out. Just don't let him go anywhere. That's what it was, her uh, downfall, her arrogance. While Mark's visiting Robin at her job at a clothes store, the Countess surprises Mark in the store's fitting room, which sets off a pretty fun farcical stretch with Robin on the yeah. outside and the Countess on the inside with Mark. This it's one of those dressing rooms in the middle of yeah. the store, too. So you've this, got that going on. This store, it's just like a timestamp because it has that feel of 80s, everything is trying to be a club. <laughs> yeah, like, where there's no windows in the store, yeah. so it feels like it's in a basement. There's like but yet, lights and music. I'm just old enough to remember places that were kind of like that, Yeah, and there definitely was. And it reminds me of similar-looking stores in fraternity vacation mm -hmm. that weird movie with tim robbins and oh, barbara no. crampton oh yeah yeah there's stores exactly right. like this one i think that movie was filmed in palm Springs, so i don't yeah. think it's the same place but yeah it's around the same time right period. there's several shots of this plaza where seemingly all this stuff is yeah in the movie some of my favorite shots just seeing this plaza oh yeah well in case it wasn't clear when i brought up valley girl and yeah. chopping Mom, this i love this this the aesthetic california yeah. 1980s mall aesthetic shopping plaza aesthetic yep just places in la and the valley and all around the totally. 80s yep has to be the 80s a lot of mall content too. Mm -hmm. mark notices for the first time when they're in the dressing room that his blonde older quote-unquote lover they haven't actually had sex has no reflection in the store's mirror so this is the first time i guess that he might realize that she's a vampire yeah he's fairly dense most of the time Forever is just what I had in mind, she tells him. Though the Countess is frustrated by the presence of Robin and sort of caught off guard by Mark's loyalty to her, which seems to be fucking up whatever her usual I know. influence is on people that she bites, because it's not quite working. Right. And it's got to come down to his loyalty to Robin that's stopping it. So she gets mad, but she is successful in getting her second taste of Mark's blood. On the way out of the store, I love that she shoves an old woman just into those <laughs> clothes. That was actually pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get into it. You wanted to talk about it. I guess it's time. What are the rules exactly? It reminds me a lot of Gremlins. Yeah. And look, I know that when we did Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, maybe some of you haven't listened to that episode. Maybe you'll be shocked to hear that for whatever reason, in the middle of that episode, I went on a tangent about not liking Gremlins. Yeah. Which is an unpopular take. A lot of people love it. Didn't sit right with a lot of the listeners. <laughs> Didn't it? No, I don't, I don't think, I, I don't think, I don't think people, anyone was listening. When nobody then. was talking to us back then, so. Actually, one of your friends, I think, took me aside and yeah. said, finally someone said what <laughs> needed to be said about Gremlins. We need to stop pretending that it's good. <laughs> It is one of my more unpopular film takes. If yeah. you love Gremlins, then please, by all means, continue loving it. But I didn't see it until I was older, mm -hmm. and I think I just don't have that nostalgia for the right. movie. And I think a lot of it is dumb. But anyway, whatever. 
one of the main things of Gremlins is the rules. And everyone always jokes, well, when is midnight? There's different time yeah, zones. When is midnight? When does the new day start? Because isn't after midnight all the time? I, it is weird that no one would ever think when writing these things that we shouldn't timestamp it like that. Yet a lot of people love that Gremlins just sets out the rules and that's it. Well, that's but true. The actual rules are up for interpretation because isn't any minute of any day I after know. midnight? Yeah, technically. But I whatever. Know, really. So and, and like time zones, it's like what is this Greenwich Mean Time? My question for once bitten is when does it count as a second time to feed? Because she doesn't kill this guy. She doesn't have three different men, which would make way more sense, mm-hmm. honestly. They should have rewritten this movie where Jim Carrey plays the third victim or something. Because yeah, win counts as one versus two. So, like, why doesn't she just wait an hour or wait even until the next morning or well, wait whatever? she can't do it when she's full. But why? No, what I are know. the rules? Yeah. If you're that worried about staying young and well, it, alive it forever. It does seem, that's the thing. When the stakes are this high, it does feel like you would just do whatever it takes to get it done. So all we know is that at some point before October 31st, mm-hmm. I'm assuming midnight of the morning of October 31st, because they never say you have the day of Halloween. They even specify that that random dance in the movie is the pre-Halloween dance <laughs> for some reason. Anyway, whatever. There's a moment of chiming midnight either on October 31st or November 1st. By that point, she needs to have drank virgin blood three times, although I guess it can come from the same virgin. It has to be a man, too, which is And weird. when did the time period start? Well, yeah, yeah, that's what I was building towards. I guess as soon as the next day, but right. like, why wouldn't you just get it out of the way immediately? That way we wouldn't wait until there's only 10 days left in the year when this whole thing started. I don't know. There's <laughs> yeah. a lot of logic issues in this plan. I don't know. Weirdly procrastinating for something that is going to end her run. But at the same time, I'm sure the filmmakers didn't care. True. And they didn't expect people to care It's just meant to be funny. I understand that. Yeah, these are very lighthearted, goofy movies. If you would have thrown in some boobs in this movie, this would have been like the ideal, typical 80s movie. I just feel like you could do a little bit more work to give us a premise. (laughs) It's a little loosey-goosey with the rules. If you would have spent a few more minutes refining it, I think you could have made it a little tighter. (laughs) Because like I said, make it be three different guys. Yeah. Make her kill off his friends throughout the movie one by one. Then the stakes are higher. Then you still do the comedy because the guys are all douchebags. And then maybe you make them be alive at the end, whatever you want, so it's not too serious. She works her way up to him, Yeah, but they never seal the deal. Because I think if you get bit once by the vampire, by most movies' rules, you're already a vampire. Right. So they're already changing the rules That's what I normally operate under. I think sometimes we'll play in a space of if you're bitten, but then the one that bit you gets killed before your full transformation yeah there's a little bit of leeway but the whole three times over like 10 days right it's kind of weird i know because i was used to vampire movies or even shows growing up it was very fatalistic as soon as that bite happens like you're done and there's no going back well that's true but this is a comedy true first and foremost before anything else i think (laughs) you're allowed a little bit more leeway okay when you're being comedic i think so you're right In the aftermath, Robin finally starts to notice that something is truly wrong with her boyfriend. His strange behavior continues to escalate. He's drinking blood from raw meat, which is very gross. Yes. He's dressing all in black, wearing black sunglasses. He's paler than usual with odd sleep patterns. He's starting to put some sort of a gel or something in his hair. That's supposed to be a part of it. 
he's hissing at kids trying to buy ice cream. Yeah. I don't know. It's actually kind of cool that he's a legitimate ice cream man. You would think that he would be raking in dough for a high schooler. Oh, that's true. He's yeah. certainly better than working at that burger shack, which I guarantee you paid like $3 well, an definitely. hour or something. Eventually, Mark stumbles into a Catholic church looking for answers. In a funny mix-up, he ends up in a confessional booth opposite a drunk vagrant. As scripted, the bum's reaction in the confessional was, pass me the toilet paper, I'm all out on this side. The line was changed in post-production because executive producer Samuel Goldwyn Jr. felt the original dialogue would get the film condemned by the Catholic Church. Huh. I have to tell you, that's a pretty big bummer because that would have yeah that would have caught my attention i would have been like whoa that is like a a crazy line to be in this movie mm-hmm. and it's disappointing they chickened out right because i think he says something like oh he says you're, you're gonna need a shovel you're in deep shit oh yeah 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 and jim carrey or mark he thinks it's a priest right. so it's kind of funny but the other line is unbelievable that yeah. would have been great Mark continues having what I would describe as Dracula dreams, featuring both the Countess and Robin now, where yeah. his hair is very gelled up, and he also has the widow's peak drawn in, so right. he looks like the traditional Dracula. I was thinking of them as uh, Happy Gilmore dreams. It was reminding me of <laughs> Yeah, they are kind of yeah. like that. They almost have like the purple right. <laughs> border. Yeah. The big dance at the school is called the pre-Halloween hop. Mark is acting weirder and weirder. He was supposed to do a couple's costume with Robin as Jack and Jill, but she ends up being Jill sans Jack. Yeah, she was jilted. As Suzette says. Yeah. She was jilted. Good. I do love that in these movies, they always seem to have live bands I know. playing at high school dances. That never happened in my entire Same. life. Same. Yeah. And this band actually seemed like kind of cool. Right. They were kind of like the Go-Go's at Jace. Yeah. Something like that. Agreed. It seems like it could have been fun. I do enjoy, though, how everyone is playing into this bit that he's going as a vampire and he's insistent that he's just himself. I'm not wearing a costume. (laughs) It's not a phase. It's like a goth teenager. (laughs) His parents are just, like, making fun of him. Yeah. What is the dress code for these costume dances? There's several boys wearing no shirts. Some of the girls are wearing wild outfits, too. Yeah. But I'm also seeing, and this gets more and more prominent when we get into the dance-off here in a second, but there are a lot of adults Definitely. Of all ages. Elderly people, too. And I'm like, who are these people? Why are they at this dance? Yeah, I think one of the things that was hard with the 80s was the difference between kids and adults wasn't that much. I'm talking women (laughs) that look like they're 70 years old. Right, so not in high school, you don't think? I guess you could have one or two as teachers, but it just seems like a very wide range of ages at this dance. I think people were just like more bored, so like... (laughs) The whole town came to the school dance. Well, at least when the dance was happening, it wasn't just like, hey, we need three or four teachers as chaperones. Like, every teacher was just like, well, I'm just going to go, too. It's the social event of the season. Exactly. <laughs> I need to see if Joey kisses Amy under the <laughs> They're wrapped wish up upon in the a drama. star dance yeah. or whatever. <laughs> of course, the Countess shows up at the dance, which leads into one of the most 80s sequences ever captured on film. Insane. If you just explained to me that this was a pivotal scene in the movie... I would be like, hell yeah, I'm in. (laughs) She tries to cut in while Mark and Robin are dancing, which naturally leads to an impromptu dance-off in the middle of the gymnasium. A dance-off, but it's hard to really tell who's against who. Well, it's almost like a choreographed play of emotions and going back and forth and who's controlling who, and the song is very 
on point. Really a crazy idea to put this in a movie. I give him props for doing it. It's sort of like that crazy scene at the end of Rad, the movie with Lori <laughs> yeah. Laughlin, where right. they're like on those BMX bikes at a dance for some yeah, reason. Yeah. Or whatever. You're like, what is happening now? I know. Half the students are in their 40s. Half are completely drugged and seem <laughs> out of it. I don't. They're kind of like zombies, like yeah. swaying and clapping. Some aren't wearing shirts. Robin, remember, is dressed like Jill, which for some reason includes those giant red circles on her cheeks. Oh, right. So she looks ludicrous. The Countess is literally biting at Mark. That's how over the top the comedy is, where she's like <laughs> literally biting at him. Yeah, yeah. In plain sight, Sebastian is there as well. It's beyond hilarious. There's this song, Hands Off, playing as the two ladies dance. They dance fight over Mark. There's all sorts of hands intertwining. Hands off, (laughs) hands off, the boy is mine. It's so on the nose, Pushing away, yeah. Meanwhile, Robin is ripping her skirt off in a move I was personally standing up and applauding. Yeah, Very exciting that she stunning. was removing clothing during well, this Well, this dance. is like she's re- I'm taking control of the situation. This is my man. Get away from us, you old hag. You could say that the movie is actually just a metaphor for a young woman discovering her sexuality. Definitely. Because by the end of the movie, she's giving it up. I would say so. <laughs> she's opening up right now. She's removing clothes. She's very literally taking down the barrier that's right <laughs> full-blown adults and elderly people in the circle clapping this on too. the most Just bizarre high school dance that's ever occurred robin strips down to what seems like a one-piece bathing suit she was wearing under her costume for some reason and this is definitely a move i think that most of the kids in school would have been talking about this come monday morning well i don't see any scenario where robin isn't the most popular girl in school other than she's dating Mark, which takes her down. I don't know. Jim Carrey is a handsome guy. Okay. He, He's got charisma. He had yeah. a relationship with Jenny McCarthy for a long time. True. She was a big Playboy star. Oh, yeah. He can get ladies. He's a good-looking guy. I do think his shtick when you're not famous and not rich would get old and annoying. Definitely. Because he is being Jim Carrey in this movie. I think we should point that oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah. At one point doing like a De Niro impression. Yeah, he does the De Niro face and everything. And he is doing a little bit of his stuff. Stuff that would cross over into Ace Ventura Mm -hmm. and his other roles. You can see the DNA there. It's not a completely straight foreign performance. He's got a little bit of that weird vibe there. And while it appears that Robin has, at least for the moment, won back Mark... It is actually only temporary. They both soon realize that something is seriously wrong when Mark's reflection starts vanishing in mirrors right after the dance. May I have your attention for a moment, please? Uh, Excuse me, may I have your attention for a moment, please? Uh, Thank you. I'm pleased to announce that the winner of the best costume contest is Mark Kendall as a vampire. (laughs) 
She's a vampire, and I think she's turning me into one. Turning you into a vampire? That's why I couldn't see myself. Vampires don't have a reflection. But you're there. See? Oh, my God. The thing I love most about Robin is that she doesn't sit around feeling sorry for herself. Her boyfriend is being seduced by an older MILF with an obscene amount of money. She'll dance that bitch's face off. That's right. Oh, it turns out that said boyfriend is actually being turned into a vampire by the aforementioned blonde seductress? Well, Robin's going to walk her cute little ass over to the bookstore and start putting in the work. Let me do some research. I'll figure out the answer. (laughs) She's not going to sit back and let it happen. Mark is her man. But yeah, as is often the case in movies like this, it's time to bring in an outside source to be the expert and provide both clarity and potential solutions. However, I did think it was comedic how fast she dispenses of this dorky guy at the bookstore. Right. He's still in the middle of talking and she just runs away. Well, she only has eyes for Mark. (laughs) Vampires. Did you say vampires? Oh, yes. Do I have some books on vampires? Goodness gracious. Just follow me. You know, it is most unfortunate, the shocking reputation that vampires are having these days. You know, most people are basing their opinions on those silly vampire movies. What is this doing here? Is there such thing as a female vampire? But of course. The result of a vampire bite just the same as any other vampire. You know, there are even cases of cat and dog vampires. Don't worry about it. The cleaning lady will fix it when she comes next week. As I was saying, cat and dog vampires, and I even remember once in the 1960s, a gerbil was bitten in the hind leg. Could a woman vampire actually exist today? Like maybe in Hollywood? But that's the ideal place. You see, she can blend in with the crowd. Could one of these lady vampires actually bite a guy? You know, like a teenage guy? Well, how old would he be? Like 18? Oh, I seriously doubt it. You see, the female vampire needs the blood of a virgin. And an 18-year-old boy would hardly be a virgin now, would he? Well, just hypothetically, what if he was a virgin? (laughs) Well, then I think he has a lot bigger problems to worry about than female vampires. (laughs) If he got bitten, how would you know? 
Well, you would then just look for a bite on the inside of the thigh, like this one, piercing the artery. Apparently, the attack so close to the source of, in the case of a virgin, untapped sexual potency, is what the woman vampire needs to retain her youth and beauty. Now, I have over here somewhere a book of plates showing color. Hello? Hello? What? As I mentioned earlier, I do think that the movie does ultimately feel like it has a very anti-virginity message. The weirdo bookstore guy absolutely buries the idea of an 18-year-old virgin in 1985. <laughs> and in a weird way, yeah, Robin is essentially the butt of the joke for being a ridiculous prude. At yeah, least in the true. eyes of this guy when he's saying that. Right. Because it's almost so ridiculous to even think of that and meanwhile she knows the only reason her boyfriend is a virgin is because he's been with her the entire time Mm -hmm. and she hasn't given it up which i don't want there to be any confusion i don't think there's anything wrong with a girl wanting to remain a virgin (laughs) but this movie is clearly yeah the movie seems to think so like why would you do that don't be an idiot right (laughs) you could get your boyfriend killed (laughs) (laughs) or turn into a vampire Robin then recruits Jamie and Russ to help. The girl is so terrified of sex and penises that she somehow thinks that asking a guy's buddies to look for a bite mark on his inner thigh is a better plan than her, his actual fucking girlfriend, checking that area for herself. let me take a look at your thigh. It's not that weird. Why don't you guys try to get a look in the shower? She already knows. Yeah. This doesn't make any sense. I'm Carla, right. I did enjoy this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but believe me, we actually had a lot of fun with it. But this doesn't yeah. make any fucking sense. It's just getting the normal show treatment, which it's is, we're going to dig in. It's a secret yeah. that from Mark. Mark is the one who first brought up the vampire right. idea. Just ask him. It doesn't have to be a big secret. So I don't even like understand what's going on here. The whole thing is so that they can just get to this all-dude shower scene. I know. So that they can play on the gay panic stuff yeah i think there's a reason for the inclusion of this scene but we'll get there in a second so yes his friends jamie and russ decide that they're going to look for the bite mark on his thigh in the gym class showers fully nude in-depth showers yeah which i know we've talked about gym class showers probably a couple of different times on this this podcast prison this is insane (laughs) i never had an experience like this in high school I got to be honest with you. There might be people out there who hear me say this and think, oh, my God, everyone must have had B.O. and stunk at their school. Nobody was showering after gym class. Same, in my yeah, same for me. That yeah. never happened. There were times where after swim class, True, that was people the in their bathing suit would go into the showers, yeah. but they didn't take their bathing suits off. And that was in middle school because we yeah. didn't have a pool in our high school. It's always shocking to me when this happens in these movies. Usually it's an excuse just to have a bunch of naked girls in these teen movies or whatever. Oh, right. This is a situation where it's dudes. They're mostly covered. You don't really see anything. This is a PG-13 movie. But his one friend, when he gets on his hands and knees, it's almost like an obscene shot for a second. You're I like, know. Holy crap. Anyway. It's strange. And then people start reacting to it. Yeah. So this is sort of a famous gay panic scene that gets cited in some of the critical moments and as i said this scene doesn't even really make any sense because robin has already talked with mark about the possibility of being a vampire she could just ask him about the bite mark but whatever so the two guys are looking at his crotch and then they 
panic, I guess, and grab him and try to look at his crotch. Somehow they never even get an answer out of this. How they don't get an answer, I don't know. But anyway, as they're holding him, other kids see what they're doing. Somebody starts yelling, fag alert, fags in the shower. It's like a whole scene with people running out of the shower. So this is what I wanted to circle back to the other gay panic stuff in the movie. Because this movie was cited as being particularly problematic, but it is interesting because there is a little bit of nuance to it. In the revised 1989 edition of The Celluloid Closet, author Vito Russo lambasted screenwriter David Hines for the inclusion of a stereotypical gay butler and the homophobic school shower scene. So he also didn't like Sebastian. Okay. Because... I think for a long time, it, there's nothing particularly offensive about Sebastian, but it is yeah. a trope. Well, that's true. For a long time, that was how gay people existed in film, was think, to be uh, that character. Sebastian is a cool dude, though. No, he is, but yeah. just to be that stereotypical I get it, butler yeah. character, I get it's the same the thing over right. and over. Ironically, the shower scene was based on a personal experience of co-writer Jeffrey House, the same guy who thought Michael J. Fox was going to be a star, right. and also had his story about working at the video store. Uh And the gay butler was conceived by Jonathan Roberts, who was hired by the director to rewrite Houses and Hines' script. So the guy, Hines, who gets lambasted in a book all about gay tropes in Hollywood, is the guy who didn't come up with either of those things. (laughs) And he was probably like, what the fuck? Yeah, really. (laughs) It is a weird scene that ages poorly. However, I went to high school 15 years after this movie came out, 17 years even. And look, I won't deny it, it was kind of that same world. Yeah. If something like that would have happened, people yelling out, fag alert, fags in the shower, would have happened a thousand percent. Yeah. And if younger people think that that's horrible, maybe it was, but it was very real. Everybody I know, that's their experience in high school. It was very common. Well, hopefully it's changed. Oh, it's definitely changed. Yeah. Definitely changed. Then that definitely wouldn't be in a movie now, especially well, the PG-13. Sure. Yeah. Unless that's what the movie was about. You'd have to make that the whole movie. Mm-hmm. While Jamie and Russ are coming to grips with what went down in the school showers, that reminds me, the aftermath goes on forever. Oh, yeah. And it is equally offensive by right. today's standards. Where they're having a gag be that Jamie is cutting onions at the burger shop, so he's crying. Yes. But he's talking about how everyone's going to think they're homos or whatever. You know, it just keeps going on and That's on right. and on and on. While Jamie and Russ are coming to grips with what went down in the school showers, the Countess and Sebastian abduct Robin as part of a new scheme. Use the girlfriend as bait to lure Mark to her mansion to ensure she gets her third and final bite before her deadline expires. And it is enough to motivate Mark and his moron friends to pursue, even though the Countess's compound is the size of an airport, The three dudes break into the basement pretty easily and find Robin almost immediately. I want to stress, this is a compound. It is multiple buildings all connected together. It's huge. And they find her in seconds. Right. (laughs) (laughs) She's tied to a chair. I appreciate Sebastian and the Countess allowing Robin a little bit of modesty because she's wearing a skirt and her legs are tied to the chair too, but... They allowed her to cross her legs, yeah, so they're yeah. tied to the opposite legs of the chair. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, that was nice of them. It doesn't seem like they would do that, but... She's like, well, what if my boyfriend and his dumb friends come to rescue me? I don't want them to see my panties. They're like, good point. My boyfriend has been dating me for six years, right. and I've still never let him see my panties. <laughs> 
But as we already know, it was all a trap, of course. The Countess's minions take Mark, and a ceremony begins. The Countess will feed on virgin blood for the third time, ensuring her youth and vitality. Yeah. Once again, we just have people not going in with a very well-thought-out plan. While also condemning Mark to the life of a bloodsucker forever. For some reason, even though they are all supposedly evil vampires, they do not kill Robin, Jamie, and Russ, and instead have them watch. And this is when we realize the whole thing about virgins and biting on the thigh. Mm-hmm. They've been talking about boner blood, oh, and they pretty much right. lay yeah. that out <laughs> without saying it as obscenely as that. But mm-hmm. you're kind of like, oh, wow. <laughs> I did not see that coming. But that is essentially what they're implying. And it does make sense. <laughs> the science checks out. I guess if you were a vampire and you really wanted that hot, moving blood <laughs> all rushing around. Oh, yeah. Dearest Mark, twice we have shared a mystical experience. Tonight, the Holy Third. off this jacket. It belongs to my father. Besides, you might chip a tooth. <laughs> They'll hardly bother these. I don't want to be a vampire. I'm a day person. set on fire. Ooh, rough trade. Stand back. Put down the cross, Robin. It only works in the movies. Besides, I'm an atheist. Fire! On the other hand. So we finally get to see Lauren Hutton rocking the fangs. It's taken a long time to get to that point, but her and the minions finally reveal the fangs. Using Robin's giant crucifix necklace, which I'm kind of hoping she's wearing only specifically because of the vampires being around and her knowing about them. Not that I have any problem with a girl wearing a crucifix necklace, but this is huge. Oh, sure. Sort of like something Dog the Bounty Hunter would wear. Right. And also the use of some lit candles, which the vampires are evidently scared of, even though they would have had to have been the ones to light them in the first place. Oh, yeah. Mark's friends intervene before the Countess can make the decisive third bite. Whenever Robin is trying to retrieve Mark from under the spell of the Countess, Uh she blurts out, Mark, it's me, Robin. I'm the owner of the pants you've been trying to get into for the past four years. (laughs) Which was an unbelievable line. line. (laughs) 
I would almost write an entire movie if I had come up with that line. <laughs> just to get that into a movie, I thought was pretty good. <laughs> I can be yours, Mark, forever. Showing you joys you never dreamed possible in your most fevered adolescent slumber. Mark doesn't want you because you're mean and evil. He wants me because I'm nice and sweet and pure. So fuck off! After that virgin! They want you, not us. We'll hold them off. We will. Go! See you in school tomorrow. Hurry up! Okay, you can't cut my pants on. Holy shit. During the chase scene, when Robin punches a vampire, she actually hit him in one take and knocked his fake teeth out. The dude that she punches was in Friday the 13th, part Mm, two. Okay. He was in part two. He was the guy who was annoying in part two. I don't know if you remember the audio commentary. Kind of that dorky guy. Right. He's very recognizable. Okay. Toward the end of the film, when Mark, Robin, Russ, and Jamie are trying to escape the Countess's mansion... Russ and Jamie stay behind in an attempt to stall the vampires. They are last seen being seduced by two attractive female vampires, but their ultimate fate is never revealed in the film. (laughs) Yeah. I did like that. His pickup line about Tolstoy and the whole thing was finally working, and those vampire women took their tops off, although they had their backs to the camera. True. You do wonder why the Countess wasn't able to just quickly pivot and take those two? Well, that plays in with the rules that yeah. we touched on earlier. So let's go back to that. It has to be a boy for some reason, mm-hmm. which doesn't make any sense because some of her minions are girls. Correct. And I think if this movie came out in 2023, right. you're not allowing that to not be bisexual. I mean, sure. come on. Okay, right. But whatever. It's supposed to be a boy, and it's supposed to be three times. It's supposed to be a virgin. But they never specify if it has to be the same one all three times. No, I know. Just add that then. Just add that, right. and then we would forget about his two dopey friends. Exactly. It seems like there's two good candidates right here. I know. They would almost willingly want to do it. I'm assuming it is supposed to be the same guy all three times because he's not fully a vampire yet, mm-hmm. so it would take three times, I guess, to get him there. That's That fair. seems to be what they're yeah. suggesting, but they don't say that. The rules really aren't clear enough. So you also know that Robin is a virgin, and you also know that the two other friends have to be virgins. Yeah. 
there's a lot of virgin blood in the mix here. Definitely. And I just think that the rules aren't clear enough. In a deleted scene, all of the vampire characters were eating cockroaches. Jim Carrey insisted real cockroaches be used. Multiple actors were upset this scene was cut as they were forced to eat cockroaches for Yikes. nothing. <laughs> so yeah, there's a chase through the mansion, which never really feels anything like a home. This is not a house. Yeah, it yeah. seems like a warehouse or something. It's clearly not a real place. Eventually, Mark and Robin realize they can foil the Countess's plans simply by having sex. Oh, there you go. So the message of the movie is, why would you ever wait? <laughs> they hop in a spare coffin and seal the deal in under a minute, which is specifically pointed out. <laughs> Definitely. Almost heckled over. Well, yeah, it's pointed out as a mocking thing by yeah. the Countess when she realizes that she's been screwed over. Thus returning Mark back to normal while also taking him off of the table for the Countess. The clock chimes midnight. She's run out of time. Defeated, the Countess then begins to grow old and decrepit. Sebastian tries to comfort her with promises of virgins in other parts of the world, although she doesn't seem to believe it. Again, the rules are unclear. Sebastian is acting as if this is still fixable. I don't know. Yeah. We don't know. Mark and Robin close the coffin for a second round of what I would describe as beautiful lovemaking. <laughs> <laughs> They're making love. Definitely. Matt. I know. Beautiful love. It really is. It's a wonderful thing. <laughs> Your first time was in a coffin as well. You know. <laughs> now, how well long been. had she been deceased? <laughs> <laughs> Folks. Oh, boy. <laughs> I wanted to save this to the end because I figured throw out a little fun teaser for you all. When Mark, Russ, and Jamie earlier in the movie are driving through Hollywood, a theater marquee can be seen showing Fright Night. Oh, yes. Another vampire movie released in August of 1985, about three months before this film's release in November. Hmm. Love me some Fright Night. All I'll say is it's a little teaser for Greatest October. There we go. There you go. 1985 vampire comedies. What a time. That's right. Well, Carla, that brings us to the end of Once Bitten. I'm very curious as to how this movie became the one that you wanted us to talk about, how this became such a big deal in your life. That story would probably be interesting to me. Yeah, send us so an email. Please send us a follow-up email, greatestpod at gmail.com. Maybe we'll read it in a future episode. Let us know how Once Bitten came in, in into your life, why it's a favorite of yours, why you wanted us to do it, did we do a good job, whatever you want to say. And on that note, folks, we've done a lot of listener requests over the past seven and a half years, a lot of the more recent years. If we've done a listener request of yours, please email the show, greatestpod at gmail.com. Tell us more about that story. Mm-hmm. If you're out there, if you're still listening, even if you, we haven't heard from you in a while, anyone who's done a listener request, greatestpod at gmail.com, tell us about your listener request or multiple if you've done multiple, why you picked that movie, how it came into your life. Some of you have already kind of done that. If yeah, you've totally. already felt like you've done it, then obviously don't kill yourself over it. But anybody who we've done your listener request and we haven't really gotten into a big personal conversation about why you picked the movie right. or how it came into your life or whatever, or how you feel like we did if you didn't tell us after the fact. <laughs> I'd love to get those kind of emails. We'll read them in future episodes. 
People have been generally happy, at least the ones that have let us know. Yeah. Yeah. But anyone else out there, all through the years, even if we oh, haven't yeah. heard from you in a bit, greatestpod at gmail.com. Let us know why you picked your listener request, how you think we did, and, and still, any further thoughts on it, whatever. Yeah. We'll read those over the next few months if we get any. Hopefully we do. Yeah. I'd still love to hear what the episode you found us on was, too. Those yeah. stories, whenever we get them, are always great. And I'm not naive. I know that not everyone listens to every episode. They certainly don't listen to the end all the time. So I'm going to repeat this over the next few weeks. Mm-hmm at the beginning of episodes and at the end of episodes a few times and to see if we can start getting those emails in over the next few months. Anyway, thanks to Carla. This was a rediscovery for me and a first timer for Matt. So yeah. that's always fun for us too. Definitely. Because I will say that for the movies that listeners have introduced us to, some of them I've returned to since and some I definitely will be in the future. So we love it. We love movies and we love talking about them. Absolutely. That's why we're doing this still. Yeah. Thanks to Carla. If you have a listener request, you can let us know. Greatestpod at gmail.com and at greatestpod. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent, stop making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Let's get into our segments. Matt, you're up for recommendations this time. Okay, I have two, and I watched them both today, so that's why I have two. (laughs) Both streaming on Showtime. One is really random. The other one kind of ties in to this very loosely. The first one, 2007, Noah Baumbach's Margot at the Wedding. Mm -hmm. It's a weird movie. It's dark. Some great lines in it, though. Jack Black in the first half has some absolutely great lines yeah. that I was loving. And it harkened back to a time with Noah Baumbach that, I don't know, it's, you could kind of see that crossover with the old Wes Anderson writing style. Yeah, um, which was the movie they did together? Life Aquatic? I think so, yeah. And it was just that one, I think. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. But this was all two years after Squid and the Whale. You know, there was yeah. a very similar vibe during that time period that was really for me, I think, more so than what he's gone on for most of his career. And the other one is also streaming on Showtime, starring John Hamm, a, I guess, continuation of a series from 80s comedies that I never saw. Yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) Confess Fletch, I watched earlier today. This can't be good. I thought it was okay. Okay. I I mean- I haven't seen it, but I haven't heard good things. uh, No, I thought it was fine. I thought there was some funny parts in it. No offense to John Hamm. He just doesn't seem like the right guy to me. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds, who almost did it at one point, seems like more of a Chevy Chase type. Yeah. I kind of agree with that, but I think he's okay in it in parts. Lorenza Izzo in it as well. Always good yeah. to see her. Yeah. Kyle McLaughlin in it. And John Slatterly. So kind of a fun cast. Look, I, it's not great, but I have no connection to the original Fletch movies, never seen. I know Kevin Smith almost did one at one point, too, with oh, Jason yeah. Lee. I, I do remember that, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that there will be any more continuation. So this one is I'm called like. Confess Fletch. Yeah. I don't think, yeah. It was one of those in theaters and streaming at the same time. I don't think it really made any money. Right. But I think it's fine for a one-time watch. Okay. Well, those are both on Showtime. Showtime. I'm going to hold off on recommendations this week, but we do have an email, and it required a little bit of work on our part, and I think we did the best we could with it. 
All right. All right, you go ahead. You go ahead, you keep it secret. But you remember this. When you control the mail, you control information. This week's email comes from John. Hey, Zach and Matt, here's an email you can read on the show if you deem that it's worthy. Well, our screening standards aren't really that high, so if you send us an email, we'll probably read it. (laughs) So, randomly, I decided to look through your back catalog from the very beginning to try and pick out my personal favorite trifecta. In other words, which three movies you covered on consecutive shows that I'd list as my personal favorite run? Here are three runner-ups. So before I even read those, I will say that this does really appeal to our egos. Yeah, Going absolutely. Going through our catalog. This was fun. Celebrating us, yeah. celebrating our episodes. <laughs> this is right in our wheelhouse. Totally. We love to scroll through our catalog. Yeah, yeah. Just to look at our episodes. So John's picks are Heather's, Eyes Wide Shut, and Jaws, which that would be 98, 99, and 100. He did not put that, but I, I knew that from memory. Okay. The other one's... I'm not 100% sure. Actually, I could do the third one. The second one, no. Second one, I know it was around New Year's Eve into the new year. Sunset Boulevard, Back to the Future, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. That is a fun one. That would probably be, I'm going to guess, in the 130s. And then number three, Halloween, which would be episode 200, Jurassic Park, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But his number one, his winner, is just from last year. The end of Listener Request Summer. Oh, yeah. Into not Listener Request Summer. The Wicker Man, Mulholland Drive, American Psycho, which is a pretty interesting run. And a fun pick. Anyhow, that was a kind of a fun thing to do that didn't take too long, so I'd love to know your picks if you ever have a chance to breeze through and choose. And if not, no worries. Simply go fuck yourselves. Lastly, thank you for covering my listener request, Arrival. I will surely listen to it again, but I remember it being slightly hornier than I was expecting. At least you're consistent. I don't know what that means. Love you guys, and keep up the good work, Johnny. Well, great to hear from you again, Johnny. So we took a moment to look through the catalog. I honestly did not go through everything. I just kind of picked some random spots and looked at stuff. I came up with a few fun ones, but the first one... I would take one of his runners up and I would move it one slot yeah. to get rid of Heather's, even though I love Heather's. But that run of Eyes Wide Shut, Jaws, and Showgirls, I think that really encapsulates our podcast. Yeah. That goes until 101, which would be Showgirls. Okay, so I'll throw out one and then maybe you can throw out one, go back and forth. Okay. I have a few. All right. I, I would say right away... I was thinking, okay, here's three that jump out to me that I think sum up what we do and our show pretty well. Episodes 14 through 16, Halloween 3, Spring Breakers, Wonder Boys. Oh, yeah, that's great. Before I give picks, I would say probably what would be my number one in terms of representing movies that I love was on his list, which was the Halloween Jurassic Park Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Just nuts i knew when we did those three in a row i was like well here's three big movies right in a row totally (laughs) in a way that i don't know that we've done that in any other stretch but in terms of like ones that i just thought were fun as i was going through and and movies that i love texas chainsaw massacre the shining and inside lewin davis yeah that's a cool run run. what are the numbers on that i don't have okay all right forget it don't worry about it i liked 
23 through 25, Black Swan, Almost Famous, Roadhouse. Yeah. You're going to be able to tell really I started in, from the beginning. Yeah, I started from the end, so I, I, I didn't well, really make good. it to there. Yeah. Here's the thing, though, John yeah. and anyone listening. I picked most of the episodes, so I yeah. like all of them. Right. I could stop at any, almost any three. Yeah. I, now, granted, there are some listener requests, especially the early days of those. And there's some of the TV episodes or the Give Us a Seconds, which sort of break it up or whatever. But as far as the movies, yeah. the runs of three in a row, a lot of them I like because they're movies I like. Well, That's totally. why we did them. I definitely was giving myself a rule. I know this wasn't introduced, but it was definitely like three movies in a row. I was skipping if a Give Us a Second or something. Like you wouldn't count it, right. you just would move on. Yeah, yeah. I kind of did that too. Um, Although I started at the beginning, so yeah. the Give Us a Second didn't start right away. I have Inglorious Bastards, Cruel Intentions, and Thelma and Louise. I thought that was a good run. <laughs> I liked this one just because it started out kind of random, and it's a movie that feels very personal to me mm-hmm. because not a, pe- a lot of people love it. But Cedar Rapids, Blue Velvet, Donnie Darko. Oh, yeah. Obviously, Blue Velvet and Donnie Darko belong to a lot of people, and those are very indicative of our show and our our listeners and whatnot. But Mm -hmm. Cedar Rapids is a movie that I love. I love that movie. And we saw it in the theater, and even now, like with Anne Heche passing away, it kind of even means more to me now. I just really love that movie. Yeah. And so, yeah, that run is a pretty cool run because it's two super cool movies that I think we got a lot of mileage out of Donnie Darko on the revisited. And I think we will eventually do a revisited for blue velvet and then Cedar Rapids. We won't do a revisited of, but it means a lot to me. So that's kind of a cool run 44 through 46. So I only have one that's like below episode 100, but I did think it was a fun one. I'm going to go top to bottom on this one. Inception, Belle du jour, less than zero. (laughs) I love that. I did see some less than zero possibility, yeah. and I just—I think the one I was looking at started with something else, and species was involved okay. or something. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I just love "What's the... the one before species?" I don't, species. Know. I don't know. Oh, you're not looking at it. Okay. No, less than zero is just like such a fun movie to talk about. Like, it's not like a great movie, but it's so fun to talk about and reference. Yeah. Leading up to Inception, we did less than zero and Belle du Jour. <laughs> The last one that I wrote down was episodes 135 through 141, and I thought that this one also was pretty cool for me, and it represents the 70s, 80s, and 90s, although not in that order, with Alien 7 and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So you have the science fiction franchise thing, you have a Fincher movie, tour, but also a really dark and fucked up movie, and then you have the teen raunchy comedy. It's really covering a lot of bases. Definitely. I'll do one more. It actually includes two listener requests. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought this was it just ended up being a fun run. Vertigo, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Slapshot. Okay, yeah. Well, that was definitely part of the, I think, uh, changing into the new era that probably started sure. with Blue Azormous Color. <laughs> yeah. I remember really loving doing that Girl with the Dragon Tattoo listener request because I think it had been a while since I had revisited it and it got me back into it in a whole new way and then slapshot i just ended up having so much like fun with yeah i do love slapshot and vertigo is one of the best movies of all time and i think people kind of sleep on girl with the dragon tattoo same it's, it's not really considered to be one of fincher's favorites by a lot of people although i think it's generally yeah. liked and respected i don't think you hear people talking shit on it it's just not held up 
But I don't know why. I think it's such a masterpiece. I know. I guess it suffers from there being a pre-existing one. It's uh, aging like a fine wine for me. As I keep going on and I think about it, I, I just love it more. I know, and in a weird way, I love that they didn't do any more. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen it, don't get me wrong, sure. and I would have yep. been there opening night, but it's kind of cool that it just ends the way it does, and that's it. <laughs> so good question. All right, John, thank you for the email. Please, anyone else, reach out to us, greatestpod at gmail.com. Like I said, if you have ever done a listener request, please let us know. Carla, we'd love to hear how you came to be a big fan of this movie, how it came into your life. When's the first time you saw it? What is what is your memory of it? Anything you want to share about it? And for anyone who's done another listener request, we'd love to hear from you too. Same subject. She's never seen a single Paul Walker movie? That's a huge oh-no-no. She also doesn't care about Blu-ray. She's a monster. The last thing we're going to talk about is Physical Media Spotlight. Last episode, I teased that I'd have some information on it. So what we're going to do is we're going to pause this segment after this episode until greatest October when it will make a triumphant return. I'm sort of piecing together an idea for favorite horror physical media items that both Matt and I will put together one per episode of greatest October. And that will sort of be the relaunch of the segment. So I'm going to do a physical media spotlight and then you won't hear one again until October. It's another pre-order This time, it's a little bit more obscure. The main piece of it is Region B, which I know not all of our listeners or even many of them might have that capability. Matt doesn't even have Region B. No. For God's sakes. (laughs) But I thought this box set looked really cool. Maybe there will be an American Region A equivalent, although it seems like maybe Criterion isn't as interested in his films, although they did release some. So I don't know what the deal was with the house that Jack built. But anyway, (laughs) Lars von Trier, a Curazon collection, 14 Blu-ray set, Region B. It has all of his major films except for Dancer in the Dark with Bjork. Obviously, Lars von Trier is a very complicated guy. And that film and his experiences with Bjork in particular are very controversial I don't know what the reason is, but Dancer in the Dark has never been released on Blu-ray. I don't know. I think she hates him, and I think she owns the rights to the soundtrack is my guess. Well, there you go then. I'm sure that might be a reason it's not on Blu-ray. It's not a part of this set, and neither is his TV stuff that he did in Denmark. But all of the other movies, tons of discs, new restorations, etc. Some of his movies are hard to take. Some of them... I probably won't watch, including Antichrist, which I have not seen and I probably won't watch. Yeah, happy never to watch it again. But I'm telling you, even though some of them are challenging and weird and fucked up, there are masterpieces. I consider Breaking the Waves a masterpiece, and that is my other pick, even though that's part of this Blu-ray box set. Oh, wow, okay. (laughs) I pre-ordered the new 4K of that, also from Corazon. 4K is region-free, so if you haven't seen Breaking the Waves... And you trust me for recommendations. Maybe you want to check out this 4K. There's also a Criterion Blu-ray. I let Matt borrow the Blu-ray. Yeah, we had quite a time with it. Fun soundtrack, too. It's a very weird movie. Yeah, yeah. It's not for everyone, probably, but I think it's a masterpiece. I was shook by that movie. Oh, yeah. That's fair to say. And when I watched whatever it was, those 140, 50 Criterions in two months or a month and a half, 
that was one of the ones that I watched for the first time that stood out where I was like, oh, wow. Oh, okay. This is a new one where I'm like, holy shit. Right. I love that movie. Eventually, we'll probably do Breaking the Waves or Melancholia. Mm, fun. Or one of his films. Maybe Nymphomaniac. <laughs> <laughs> Folks. I don't know. Lars von Trier, complicated guy. Definitely. I guess he's having health concerns. I don't think he will really be working anymore, but- it seems like in America he probably would be canceled anyway. Definitely. He's a guy who's been striving to be canceled his whole life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever. Showing up at film festivals, saying that Hitler was cool, whatever the shit that he's yeah. done in his life, you know, really obnoxious. He definitely likes to piss people off. He's a provocateur, yeah, yeah. as they say. Folks, find us on X slash Twitter, Accuratus Pod. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. We would love for you to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts after you're subscribed. This episode came out on a random day. We also sometimes do give us a second, two a week, whatever. Never miss one. Make sure you're subscribed. Tell your friends, tell your family. We're a word-of-mouth podcast pretty much exclusively, and we thank you so much for listening. And we thank Carla for the fun listener request. Thanks, Carla. Hopefully she'll tell us why she picked this movie what she likes about it, whatever. Whatever its story is, I'd love to hear that, and I'd love to hear that from all of the listeners with their listener requests. That should be part of it now. Definitely. Required if you're doing a new one Yep. in the future. Anyway, find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, Matt Crosby. You know how to reach us if you want a sticker. Hit us up. Are we at a point where people can ask for a second sticker, do you think? Yeah. I think people can ask for a second a lot of people I sent to anyway. So, okay. Yeah. Well, if anybody ever wants any more, if you get a new vehicle, a new guitar, yeah, whatever. If you find a good place that one needs to go, just let me know. Well, the listener, Brian, who requested Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, was just at his house. He has a new guitar. Oh, how about that? Maybe he'd like a new Greatest Moments. That's a lot of pressure. He's no <laughs> stickers on it. would be like, hey, this guitar you just we, got. We see some real estate there. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back shortly with another episode. Luke, thanks for being patient. Your listener request is coming up before the end of the month. Talk to you soon.
answer is yes, then you're ready for Captain Freedom's workout. Yes, it's America's yeah. own Captain Freedom. That's the ticket. No pain, no gain. So, when you hear the tone, control your jealousy and leave your ah. message. 